Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, how are you? Doing well. Had a uh, had a good weekend in Lawrence, despite the loss, and you know, just ready to ready to get back to another home game. What about you? Well, hundred percent. Let's just talk about that. How your weekend in Lawrence was good. I sent you a boatload of wrecks. How how they how they do? Yeah, we checked out several. We went up and down Mass Street after the game and before the Smart. game. We were you know by the wheel and the hawk and stuff like that. So had a buddy that works for sporting kc shout out to my buddy matt he um a friend from oklahoma state he was with some friends that went to ku so they kind of showed us around as well so we used your rex after the game before the game they kind of showed us around so fuller and i had a great time uh, despite the game lawrence is a fun a fun town if you haven't been i would definitely recommend it we, we had a good time it's it's beautiful in the fall too. I don't know the weather looked fantastic. I don't know if it was, but it, it looked like it on TV. I, I've always said fall in Kansas City is one of the nicest times of year anywhere. It's uh, it's a full actual fall, not like we get in Oklahoma. So enough weather talk though. How about that? How about we quit that? <laughs> um, boy, I'm just trying to procrastinate because we we've got you know Dustin another podcast we're talking about this off air it's just it's just unique last year when we started this uh oklahoma state was undefeated at that point lost a tough one against iowa state and then the baylor game so really every game we have broken down up until the last two weeks of this entire podcast has been uber competitive even in a loss there's a lot of good stuff to talk about there's a lot of bad stuff to talk about but the thing that you and I like the injuries have just piled up and piled up to where it's like it's kind of tough to break these things down because you're you're everything's with an asterisk. And so um, this has been a very unique season. I, I fully understand that, um, but it, it's it's unique for for us, too. So, um, yeah, I, I'm ready to get some, you know, maybe back into a home game, too. I think you nailed it. I, I'm ready to to get this team back into the friendly confines of Boone Pickens Stadium. I think they need it. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that'll definitely help them out. Mike Gundy said as much in his press conference. He said he's ready to get back home with the home crowd, the paddle people, and just kind of get everything going again there. I definitely think that'll help them out. But yeah, and Kate, just kind of overall with this game, you know, Oklahoma State loses 37 to 16 to Kansas. Going into this game, I think that was actually pretty close to your score prediction. I had Oklahoma State 34, 31, I believe. And the reason why I picked that is because I thought even without Spencer Sanders, either Gunner Gundy or Garrett Rangel could do enough against this KU defense to pull out a victory for Oklahoma State. And really, Cade, the way the game started out, and even throughout the game on offense, they had some really solid drives. Yep. They had the three turn the three interceptions and the fumble. They had some really solid drives. And I 
if, if you finish off a couple of those drives, even with field goals, this is a much tighter game. But the defense just really struggled all day to stop Devin Neal, to stop Jason Bean in the KU rushing attack, which led to KU being able to use the play-action passing game, their quick passing game. And they just weren't really able to shut KU down. Even after making some adjustments at halftime, KU was still pretty efficient in the second half. But with some of how some of those drives on offense, it made me feel like this game was actually a little bit closer. Yeah. Than what the final score reads, but just overall, not a great performance from Oklahoma State. No, it it really was uh, a deflating performance. I I I actually picked the game to be thirty four to twenty. So the unfortunate thing is it it went exactly kind of how I expected. I will say I didn't expect KU to absolutely torch. Oklahoma State on the ground. I thought they'd be able to move the ball, but I thought KU was going to be forced to be maybe a little bit more potent through the air. And they shoot, they got their money's worth. But I mean, they they made their hay on the ground with Oklahoma State. And I think that was what was really surprising to me. One thing that I've noticed with this team lately is it just I, I don't know if this is a, a feeling or an observation. I have no data to back this up, but it feels like on third and long like they're not getting off the field and they're giving up some significant chunk plays at that point in time where it just puts the defense at a complete disadvantage I think KU that first drive of the second half converted two fourth downs on their way to a touchdown it's like okay you had to have a stop there and Oklahoma State you know credit to them all year they've been able to get off the field as injuries have piled up they, they struggled to do that in this game, and I, I think a lot of that goes right back to the KU rushing attack and being able to be balanced the way they were. So it, it yeah, was just not a great game. I do have data to back it up for you. They were, uh, <laughs> I thought you 50%, might. They were almost 50% on third downs between five and nine yards to go. So they didn't have any over 10 yards, but on five to nine, which I count as medium to long, yeah, they were four and nine. So 44%, almost 50% on those. And that, that kind of backs up your point. And, and I do agree. And then, and then on the other side of the ball, Oklahoma state just struggled to, like I said earlier, finish off these drives. And, you know, when you turn the ball over four times, no matter who your quarterback is, if it's Spencer Sanders, we've even seen that Oklahoma state isn't able to win the game, much less true freshman Garrett Rangel. So just kind of all that working against them there, but I mean, I mean, I know we're going to get into it. Do you want to go ahead and start with the offense? Well, yeah, I do. Before we do that, though, it felt like after that first drive, where Oklahoma State really kind of had it scripted, and and we've we've given uh, credit to Casey Dunn for a long time about his ability to script those opening drives. That that throw to Stephon Johnson that got broken up, that was, you know, I, I think it was a delayed kind of crossing leak style route. That was a touchdown on a better throw. And I, I you, it's kind of going back to the K-State game. Like if Oklahoma State does convert and scores on that opening drive, what does the rest of the game look like? I, I'm not saying it, it, they're going to win the game, but you're not you're not fighting an uphill battle all game, which is ultimately what Oklahoma state has been doing twice in a row now at K state and at KU. So yeah, I I'm ready to get into it because I, I think I, I want to, you know, start this off by saying, obviously the, the story of the day 
in Lawrence for Oklahoma State is no Spencer Sanders. You're forced to throw not Gunner Gundy in, which we talked about this as a possibility. I think I still expected Gunner to start, but they actually go with the true freshman in Garrett Rangel, who I thought, all things considered, played good enough to win. I, I think that's a really broad brush type of statement. There were certainly some mistakes, a lot of them, but I, I don't look at that game and, and look at him as, 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 you know, the reason. So, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And you could see Cade from those, you talked about kind of the script and even throughout the first half when Oklahoma state wasn't down huge, you know, they get down, I think it was 24 seven at halftime. So then you have to change your offensive game plan a little bit because you only have two quarters left. You kind of have to try to throw yourself back into the For game. Sure. But talking about the script, I, I actually really liked what Casey Dunn schemed up. You know, it's their highest percentage of 11 personnel since the Baylor game, 67% with a Cowboy back on the field. A lot of that, I think they're trying to get the rushing game going. They really, really focused on split zone, which we've talked about on here. The offensive line will either block inside or outside zone to one direction, and the Cowboy back will block across the formation, kind of trap blocking the edge player. They went to that heavy in this game. We kind of saw them go away from it against some of these three down teams, but they went back to it here against Kansas, who is more of a kind of typical four down front, even though they'll stand up an edge guy. And they went heavy RPO. You know, I put some clips out on that. They went with the split zone double slant RPO. They went with the zone glance RPO, which we've talked about. It's which glance route is just a, a little bit deeper slant route. And they went heavy tempo. And this is stuff that makes the game easier for Garrett Rangel to read. Because if he's reading on these RPOs, he's either handing it off or throwing it. If he decides to throw, he only has one read. So if he changes his mind after he pulls the ball back from the running back, he's just going to take off and run. So he it doesn't make him do too much thought processing there. Not saying he can't do that, but because he's a younger quarterback, I thought Casey Dunn really set him up for success. KU played a lot of zone, so he was able to kind of find some gaps in there on some of the quick path. And I actually thought it worked out pretty well for him. You know, they had a 15-play touchdown drive in the second quarter, which is tied for the second longest scoring drive in terms of plays this season. So it's not like the offense wasn't moving the football, especially early on, even in the rushing game. So yeah. I, I don't know how you felt about the game plan overall, but I actually liked the script and what was going on in the first half. No, and that, and that's kind of what I was was getting at in the open, and I think you, you said it much better than I do. Um, but I, I did like what Oklahoma State came out and did I think the opening half went kind of exactly how as I expected. I thought Oklahoma State would find some success running the football. They did find some success. I mean, <laughs> like some, but it's more than we were used to going into that game. So it felt like Oklahoma State was like the Pittsburgh Steelers running the football out there. But Okay, you make some adjustments, credit to them, and things get a lot tougher. And once that happens, you're forced to and, – and then you're down 17 points. Things look a whole lot different in the second half, and you get predictable when you do try to run the football. So I do like the way they approach that first half, I, especially you know some of the play calls and the timing. Again, I, I that, that first drive, you know, a better thrown ball, and I think it's a touchdown for Oklahoma State, and the whole game may look a little bit different. But even after that, there were several opportunities. So we're starting on the offense. I, I really didn't have 
much of an issue. Four tur- turnovers is too many. Uh, that's a yeah. problem. That's a big problem. Yeah. yeah so let's kind of just maybe go straight into Garrett Rangel then and we can yeah. get back to the rushing attack. 27 for 40, 304 yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions. Then he had the fumble. So that's 68% completion percentage, which, you know, Spencer Sanders recently, because of the injuries and because of some issues with the wide receivers injury wise as well, he's been hovering around, you know, we've seen him at 50, uh, high 50s, low 50s, 60%. So that 68 is pretty efficient. And Kate, after that second interception, so at the time of the interception, he was two of five on the day, Garrett Rangel. He then goes on to throw 35 more passes. He's 25 for 35 for 287 yards, two touchdowns and one interception. (laughs) If you give me just that, that's an excellent, excellent first start for a true freshman on the road, even against a KU defense who we talked about on our preview pod is probably the worst, if not one of the worst defenses in the big 12. So he's going up against a weaker defense, but they still have some athletes on there. You know, Lonnie Phelps went down for a little bit, but he came back in the game. Kobe Bryant ended up playing in the game, getting an interception. So they had their best guys out there. And Rangel shook off that second interception and came out and threw the ball around. You know, he, he, John Paul made a good catch on one. They threw a little behind. He had one little behind to Langston Anderson. You're talking about the deep ball to Stephon Johnson, which, you know, he needs to throw that a little bit quicker, kind of right when he clears that yeah. safety. But Stefan can do a little bit better job there. Trying oh, to high, point, high point that absolutely. football. And it was a good play by the defensive back. I, I had him for three drops total. So, you know, you're you're talking about 13 incomplete passes. Three of them are drops, and I had him for two throwaways. So, I, you know, it's not it's not like he wasn't inefficient. If you, if you take off those two interceptions, which I know you can't, the rest of that game statistically – was pretty fantastic. I thought he did okay rushing the football. He didn't get a lot of help from the Cowboy backs. I thought Owens really struggled in this game blocking-wise. But I I don't really know how much you can critique him aside from those first. That first interception was on him. The second one, if you go back and look, Bryson Green is supposed to release outside on that go route. He gets completely shielded off by the defensive back. He cannot release outside, so he takes the ball back upfield, which if he's out there with Spencer Sanders, Spencer probably realizes that and throws the ball a little bit more inside because of where the safety for KU's lined up. He's got a little room inside. That's not what Garrett does. Garrett throws it exactly where the ball's supposed to go if Bryson is able to get that outside release, and it ends up being a perfect pass to the KU defensive back who just decided to follow the go route path. Yeah. But other than that, Kate, I mean, what, what were your thoughts overall? He didn't get blitzed a lot. I think I had the blitz rate at like 16%, but I still thought he did pretty well. I I, I love it because you you put some uh, analytics to what I'm, I was thinking about Garrett Rangel. Now, the thing about the turnovers is they, they were all on the, kind of deep in KU territory one's on fourth down and that's a fumble. It's not, it doesn't show up on Garrett Rangel's stat line, but it's important because it's not like the drive was like, I, and I don't even know if you can put that completely on Rangel on that fourth down, that QB sneak. So I think there's some real quick on that. Yeah. I, I just wanted to point this out. I wrote this note down and since you brought it up, Eli Russ snapped that ball to him. Did you notice that? I, and I think that's because he, that's who he normally takes the snaps from in practice <laughs> because he's the third team center. 
It's the only snap Eli Russ played on offense was that play. I thought that was a little odd. I want to throw it back to you. I just, that may be kind of, you said it may not be completely on Garrett. I think you were going to maybe talk about the play calling and stuff, but I think throwing that center in there might've threw the rhythm off a little bit. Well, if you go back and look at it, Rangel is looking over kind of along the offensive line. He's really not even looking like he's ready for the ball. I know who the center was. So like at that point, there's all sorts of questions about timing and you know, we're not, we're not making excuses, but you have to, you have to factor those things in when you look at his performance, the first interception, absolutely on him. It's third and long. You're, you're kind of in no man's land a little bit. I think if he just throws it away, Oklahoma state might even go for that. I know that may not be in Mike Gundy's nature, but they were, I believe that came at around the 30 yard line. So they may go for that. So my point is, None of the turnovers were like backbreakers. I didn't feel like I felt like they were all recoverable. One of them's an arm punt. I just felt like the defense didn't really do a whole lot to help out in this game to give a short field or maybe just get the ball back and get your quarterback a chance to get right back on the field. I think KU only had two, three and outs. And, and one of them came in the fir- or in the third quarter when that game was still kind of hanging in the balance and Oklahoma State didn't do anything with it. So there's a lot of things that went wrong in this game. I actually felt like Garrett Rangel. I, I tweeted it. I said it. I still believe it. And, and I love how you kind of remove the interceptions and think about it the way you did because they weren't backbreakers and he was pretty effective throwing the ball. And I thought... I, I would actually leave that game feeling a lot better about the quarterback position uh, in general at Oklahoma state because of that, you know, maybe than I did going in. So. I think Cade, that last part right there, I mean, every, everything you said was great as always, but that last part eh. right there <laughs> was, it is something Mike Gundy has said all off season. And you think it's just coach speak. Hey, we feel comfortable about Gunnar Gundy and Garrett Rangel both as backups. You see now why he probably said that. I'm not saying either of these guys could lead Oklahoma State to a 10-win season right now, but as backup quarterbacks, especially in this era of the transfer portal, I think you feel pretty comfortable with both of these guys, and we've seen them both play and play decently well in the time that they've gotten out there. So I think that's a perfect point. And what you said on the drives, I mean, I I know we've hit on it twice now, but just to kind of walk through the numbers, that first drive, so that turnover happened at the KU 35, so you were right on that. That was a seven-play, 40-yard drive. Yeah. Even if you punt there, I know it's Logan Ward, but, You've got a. I thought Logan punted really well, which we said on the podcast. We thought he was going to do really well. You can pin him back really deep. It's zero zero at that point. You know, you've seen all the analytics on going ninety yards down the field. So that interception's killer because they get it to thirty five after a a seven play forty yard drive. Then they go four plays nineteen yards when he throws the second interception, and they're at they're at midfield basically. Yeah, right. In an eight play 43 yard drive, and they punt it on fourth and one from the KU 41. (laughs) Then they go 15 plays 75 yards to score a touchdown. Those are four fairly efficient drives. Yeah. Right off the bat. And, and, it's it's just tough that you only come away from that with seven points. And if you if you go back, it's really the second one that's kind of the outlier, the four play 18 yard where we we kind of pinned that on the receiver, right? So yeah, I mean, it, to me, 
I, I thought it's tough was- to go back and look at that and see that you only came away with seven points there because yeah. I think if you you know if you're able to even get ten, it it's a close game right there because KU scored scored that second touchdown, but you know then it's what seventeen to ten. You're looking at that score, and you know we still got to talk about the defense, but I, I do think it's it's tough to go back and look at that and see some of that those efficient drives and though you barely got any points yeah well i mean i mean just real quick oklahoma state scores their their first touchdown of the game tightens it up and then the next play jason bean rips off a 75 yard and it's like well the, the the game just was never there for oklahoma state it was never there for garrett rangel and it's unfortunate because i thought he was good so we'll talk about the details Last note on him, I just want to throw this stat out there. So his 304 yards is the seventh most by a freshman in program history, Boom. the most by a freshman quarterback since West Lunt had 324 yards on October 27, 2012. And it was also the second most ever in Oklahoma State history by a true freshman making his first career start behind our guy, Asso Pogais, 328 <laughs> yards against Iowa State in 2000. Those are pretty fantastic numbers wise. And I know he had to throw it a lot. I know they got down. He threw it 40 times, but overall not saying it was a, I don't even want to say it was a solid performance because he turned the ball over four times, but I think it was a promising performance looking forward. Yeah. Yeah. I I think you're right. Solid is, is probably diminishing the impact of turning the ball over four times, but yes, I, I, I left that game feeling like, okay, Oklahoma State has a quarterback in the wings. And I, I I felt decent about Gunner. I feel decent about Garrett. But now you've got two options. The transfer portal is always there. Then you got Zane Flores coming in next year. So I, I feel like they're going to have some options at quarterback that we just hadn't have had much of an opportunity to see. I think Garrett had up to that point been a little bit of an unknown. Um, even less so than Gunner. So I, I love what he did for the most part. The turnovers will will get ironed out, but overall, I, I think he showed um, you know a- enough for me. Moving on to the running backs, I mean Dominic Richardson comes back in this game, has a really nice first half. Really, I thought when he came back, I thought he might be an X factor for Oklahoma State. Ultimately, second half, KU makes some adjustments. OSU's not able to run the ball as effectively. But in that first half, I thought Dom had one of his more effective, you know, sequences on the ground this season. I think the Oklahoma State offensive line did a lot of that heavy lifting, but he was running hard. And I I think early on, the KU defense didn't want a whole lot to do with that. Yeah, kid, the first quarter... 13 rushes, 4.3 yards per carry. That That's is what extremely you need. efficient. Dom even threw – he had that spin move. So that's what we've kind of talked about. Once he gets to the second level, is he able to make a guy miss? You see that spin move. He broke a couple of decent runs. You know, he had the – I think that one was 10 yards, and then DeAndre Jackson had the 14-yard run. So there, there were some runs, which we've talked about. We want to see some eight, nine, 10 plus yard runs. When just looking at the running backs total for the game, you're looking at four yards of carry, but they kind of had to go away from the run. It was heavy zone. I talked about split zone. Yeah. They threw some regular inside, outside in there. You didn't really see much else besides that. There was the sweep, the option, and then quarterbacks, you know, scrambling the draw, the reverse. But 
I thought Dom looked solid early. He sits out the game in concussion protocol, comes back. And then I think the running backs, at, when KU made the adjustments you're talking about, which it was kind of just moving some things around on their defensive line and bringing some guys a little bit closer towards the line of scrimmage until Oklahoma State had to start throwing the ball. Dom isn't able to make guys miss at the second level. DeAndre Jackson is still having some vision issues with kind of finding the crease. And Casey Dunn even talked about that after the game. Gundy talked about that in his press conference as well about finding the creases because there were some good blocks at the second level in this game, especially from guys like Preston Wilson in the first half, Jason Brooks and Jake Springfield. So I, I think some of the running game again here, as it started to dwindle, as you pointed out, is a little bit on the running backs. Uh, again, like we called out last week, they have got to do a better job when they do get these good blocks at the second level where the linebackers are. You have got to make the safety miss and bust a long run. You see two in this game, but you need to get to the point where there's three, four, five consistently each game if you want to be efficient rushing the football and get that yards per carry up. And I, we just haven't seen that consistently at all this season. And and I'll say inside zone when it's not working is is one of the more frustrating looking plays that there is because it it has to work early for it to ever work. And a lot of times in that second half, Oklahoma State, you know, you you just talked about the offensive line. There were several times, you know, in predictable running situations where Oklahoma State wasn't able to make those plays. And it kind of leads me to a question I had written down for you. KU's offense, you know, there's a lot of motion. There's a lot of eye candy. Frankly, there's a lot of like crap that ultimately it's, it's zone counter. That's their running scheme. And then they'll throw some other stuff at you, but it, it looks more exotic than it actually is. And so it can confuse a defense. And I, my question to you, do you think there's any, room for creativity in the running game for Oklahoma state, because I felt like it was, it was tough to look at KU and then come across the field at Oklahoma state, who is really struggling to do much of anything with what looks to be a pretty straightforward play. And I'm asking you this because I think there are a lot of people. I've heard a lot of questions about that in general. So just curious what you thought about that. Yeah, no, I think it's a great question. And thank you for even bringing it up. I think there's a, there's a lot of parts to it, though. So we've what we've talked about in here, because we've gotten a question like this before about some of the gap scheme, the pulling linemen, that's part of the kind of post-snap eye candy and you know finding different lanes, taking advantages with the pulling linemen. Oklahoma State's offense is based around this zone scheme. So in season, they're not going to make a huge shift to that. We covered that. So that kind of yep. covers that part of it because you do see KU and K-State do a lot of pulling lineman stuff. We talked about the cross blocking, kickouts, and different things like that from the pullers and from the tight ends. Yes, exactly. All the all the terminology you can use, all the buzzwords. <laughs> so that, that, that kind of covers that part. I, I think in the future, in in like next season, a couple of seasons from now, if they end up, you know, Casey Dunn leaves for a different job and you get a different offensive coordinator, it's something you can definitely incorporate. We saw Sean Gleason bring that in when he was here. So it's it's not something Gundy's completely opposed to. Yeah. They're not going to do that in season. Now, when it comes to motion, you and I have been calling for a little bit more motion a lot this season. Yeah. We've seen some games where they will do that. The problem is if you're going super fast tempo, you can't use mo- – 
when you can't use a ton of motion, it kind of right. defeats the purpose of going tempo. Yeah. So it's kind of a, and let's throw the Garrett Rangel game completely out because we heard Mike Gundy talk about it. You and I talked about it. They went tempo because it was making hit easier on him to kind of digest the defense, get plays going. And it was actually really effective when Sanders comes back. Do you maybe go away from tempo more than you have this season to incorporate more motion, to get the defense guessing, get them looking in the backfield, get some defensive line and linebacker shifts. I, I personally think yes to that. I think that would help out again. I could be completely wrong on that. But I think the reason why they're not doing it is because they've done so much tempo this season. Yeah, no, I I love the 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 breakdown there. I knew you'd have I knew you'd have the answer. You always seem to. Um, but it's I'm probably wrong. <laughs> no, I and we have talked a lot about that this year. Oklahoma State's not going to tear up the playbook, and that that's not even really what I'm what I'm getting at. I'm just thinking, you know, when a when you don't have a mobile quarterback out there, let's face it, Garrett Rangel leaves a little bit to be desired in that arena. It feels like when you're when you're going tempo, this is just a feeling. It's it's like an observation type thing. And inside and outside zone is really kind of all you have. It feels predictable, like because you're probably yeah. going to run in these certain situations, and then you do run that play. It's like, well, everybody in the everybody in the stadium was thinking that, and I got that feeling a couple of times, not out of frustration, but more just like, yeah, that knew that was coming, and clearly KU agree. did as well. So, no, agree. I I, I agree with you completely. I, and I think kind of from Casey Dunn and Mike Gundy's standpoint, what they're looking to do is get that inside outside zone running game going early so they can build the play action and the RPO game off of that. Yeah. And that's how they keep the defense guessing. It just hasn't really worked very well this season. Yeah. So I, I agree. I, I do love the use of motion and we've played the, the other thing is Gabe, you know, you're watching Texas K state and KU three very <laughs> creative offenses. Absolutely. You're, you know, you beat Texas, but then you lose to K state and KU. And it's like, we should incorporate some of that. Into our well, that's so, absolutely. I, I completely it. agree. <laughs> I, I completely agree. I love watching these offenses. That's why I've given them so much praise in these preview pods, because it would be nice to see Oklahoma state incorporate some of this. It's just, it's going to, you're not going to see it this season. You're not going to see a, a ton of it this season. Maybe you see more motion, but it's going to be. It's so hard to kind of change everything you installed in fall camp. No, you're point in the season, you're so. you're spot on, and that's exactly what I was saying. It's like you you look across the field and you've got KU who's running the triple option with an orbit, and it's like what <laughs> in the world is that? And then it's you know, and I, I'm no, not I agree I'm not ribbing on 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 our coaching staff. They do a phenomenal job, and I felt again. I, I'll go back to it from the, to the very beginning. Felt like the game plan was good enough to win this game um, on the offensive side of the ball. So running backs, you know, I think still leaves a little bit to be desired there. You mentioned it. Uh, you know, having trouble finding the gaps. I thought Jaden Nixon. Let's get that guy in space a little bit more. I mean, they did it against Texas. He was fantastic out of the backfield. The one catch he has in this game goes for 35 yards and a touchdown. I just want to get the ball in his hands a little bit more. I think he's a playmaker. Yeah, and then you've got, you know, you've got Ollie nursing a groin injury. He's playing banged up. You had Richardson coming off the concussion. DeAndre Jackson was banged up a little earlier this year. And, he, you know, I, I kind of – I took a shot at him earlier, but that was really more from the last game. He actually was fairly efficient in his six, runs in this game. Six point eight yards of carry. Yeah. So he he 
looked better. I still, I still think, you know, he can improve in, on his vision and pass protection and that would get him more snaps. But I, I think, you know, there's things to like from these guys. We just haven't seen it click much this year, but I, I think that's really all I had on the running backs. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's, let's talk O line since we, we just kind of spoke about them, a, a banged up group still Preston Wilson leaves this game. <laughs> I mean, I just, I can't believe he's even out there at this point. You got to give it up to him. He came out in this game and blocked so well. Yeah. I thought he was dominant. I, I think he was the reason they rushed for 4.3 yards in the first quarter. And then you could see that leg injury start to bother him, start to bother him. And then he just can't, you know, he's on the ground after several plays before he went completely out, you know, kind of just writhing in pain for a second and getting back up. Just a really tough dude. You can tell he makes the O-line click and, you know, not saying anything bad about Mahalski or Eli Russ. It's just an extremely experienced guy who's played multiple positions in game in Preston Wilson. I thought he was getting up to the second level. He was pass prone. Well, they were passing off stunts and twists with the interior guys. And it just clicks a lot better with him, but you know, Hunter Woodard's out in concussion protocol. I know he's missed the last two. You've got Eli Russ playing bang. I know he only had the one snap, but he's banged up. Joe Mahulski apparently is, he also has a leg injury. He's playing through some significant pain right now. So when he had to come in the game, you know, he's not playing at a hundred percent. So, I didn't think the O-line was great. Jeez. I thought there was some stuff to be desired later in the game and run blocking. Obviously, pa- pass pro was okay. It's been okay or g- decent for a lot of the season. But these guys are just playing so banged up. And I know everybody is. I'm not making excuses, but it's just tough when you're playing musical chairs. You've got Jason Brooks in there who hasn't even been with the team that long. I thought overall, and you know, I'll let you kind of grade some of them as well. I thought Etienne was okay. I thought he looked better in run blocking this game. You know, we've kind of been calling him out the past couple. Maturko looked okay in the run. I think he struggled in pass pro. He kind of continues to struggle there. Like I said, Wilson was awesome early. Maholsky's playing really banged up, and I thought you could tell. I thought he struggled. Brooks looked good in run blocking, maybe not his best game. He struggled a little in pass pro, but I still think he does a great job of getting up to the second level. And I thought Springfield played a solid game. You know, we talked about him having a drop off last game, and then he comes out and plays really well in this one. Well, I mean, I I, I agree with everything you said. The injuries, though, have to be, you know, it's not an excuse, but it absolutely has to be circled and highlighted and starred and whatever you need to do to make yourself feel a little bit better about the way things have gone. Um, I mean, you just listed every center on Oklahoma State's roster, by the way, just so you <laughs> all of them. So the depth has taken a hit. Hunter Woodard, arguably your your best offensive lineman, yes, for sure. Arguably. Then Preston Wilson, those two guys play next to each other. Yeah, that right side of the line is going to struggle. Uh, there's no question about it. So not again, not making excuses, but there is uh, there's a lot to be desired there. And and even the other guys I I know have some have been playing banged up and uh, or have already been banged up previously this season. So there's 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 question marks there. And uh, you know you look at guys on the KU offensive line. You mentioned it in last week's podcast. Some of them playing 400 snaps. Most of them actually this season. Just Oklahoma State's. I mean. It's everybody faces injuries. Mike, Mike Gundy talked about it, though. He said he's never seen anything like this. And I look at the offensive line as as an example of that. It's just kind of shocking. 
Yeah, and you lose, you know, coming into the season, you lose Cole Birmingham, you lost Tyrese Williams to retirement, you lose Cade Bennett to transfer. Those are all guys that play in the interior offensive line where you're experiencing all these injuries. Then you go to the transfer portal, you try to pull in three, you get Jason Brooks on campus, Casey Collier gets to campus, doesn't make it to, uh, to, to fall ball, and then... Prince Pines never makes it on campus. So that's your interior guy. You're down five guys right there. Like that you wanted to have going into the season. So. Yeah. Just unfortunate that the offensive line gets banged up every year on every team, but the way kind of everything played out this year, it really is tough for these guys. And I respect them for going out there and playing hurt, playing for their teammates. You know, they obviously, you know they love Spencer Sanders and even a guy like Garrett Rangel. All these guys are talking really, really great about him. The offense seems like they're still they're out there fighting. They're playing hurt. They're playing for each other. Specifically the offensive line too. So I, I respect those guys for going out there and doing that. But it's it's just it's just tough. They didn't have a great game, but there were some bright spots and then you know some some not so bright spots. Yeah. Well, I mean, let, let's, let's wrap up the offense on with the Cowboy backs and wide receivers. You, you talked about Rashad Owens struggled. I'm still waiting for his breakout game, but it feels like he's coming. It's coming against Iowa state. I'm calling it now. I'm <laughs> calling one huge pass to him down the middle of the field. We'll get, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. I've got to, I love it. You, 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 uh, no burying the lead there. I love it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Oklahoma state goes heavy split zone in this game. Um, Rashad Owen struggles, but overall Dustin, your perception of that cowboy back position in this game. It seemed like on the split zone and especially kind of that split zone read or zone bluff where Rangel will keep it or Sanders will keep it. I think it may have had something to do with the way KU was lining up. I, I wasn't even rewatching the film. I was getting a little confused at why they were confused, but you see Owens not block anyone multiple times. There was one kind of sweet play where Jake Schultz doesn't block anybody. And it looks like it may have been the guy they normally bluff the block on, but because of where he's coming from, he's coming in delayed and is making the tackle on Rangel. So it made those QB runs not work the way they're supposed to. That could have been a little on Rangel too, the yeah. read there. It's not always a read, but you know, I, I wasn't really sure there, but I, I'm just going to pin that on Owens because I wasn't a hundred percent sure, but he, you know, he struggles a little bit blocking, but he's out there giving effort. This is the guy who switched position. So I'm not going to kill him for that. I didn't think, you know, Schultz, we only see on a couple snaps. Cassidy comes in there. He's so good on split zone. Yeah. I, it's That's what you need him out there for. And he does a great job when I think he played like 21 snaps. But overall, Cowboy backs, not not a great game. They, they've had some struggles recently, but it's hard to really ever give them, you know, a ton of praise if they're never getting the football. So yeah, it's, it's almost ex- always like negative. <laughs> we almost should like just fold them into the offensive line discussion because they, they really kind of relate more to that than a receiver type of position. Very true. So very true. You know, wrapping up with the wide receivers, I Bryson green continues to be a, a star in the making uh, nine catches, 105 yards, no touchdown makes the mistake early on. But I think you saw in that in, I don't know if you saw this in the replay, he, they showed this live. He went over to Rangel and appeared to own it. So I, I, I appreciate that. And what I appreciate about Bryson green is he seems like he's always kind of there. Uh, and he's especially on those comeback routes. 
He's always getting separation there. He it's it's kind of a clinic with him. A little bit of uh, lacking physicality on the vertical vertical routes, but I mean on that underneath stuff, he's he's really tough to defend. Yeah, he runs those routes, those comeback routes, really well. I know him and Spencer have not connected the past couple of weeks, but I think that's more a Spencer ankle and shoulder thing than than Green's routes. He's able to get separation on those, and you called it perfectly. Anything kind of underneath, he does a great job of getting separation on. When he's pressed, though, going deep, he still struggles. We've talked about it pretty much all season. When he has that press man, you see it on the interception. He is unable to release outside. Yeah, he has to on that route because that's where Rangel's throwing it. So I think that's something he'll improve on. He's still, you know, he's still got a ton of time to play here at Oklahoma State. Caught nine of ten targets. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> You'll take that, I would say. I thought he had a great game. He he made a couple catches on balls that Rangel maybe put a little bit out of his catch radi- radius, and he was able to snag him out of the air. I think he gives a great effort in blocking. I loved him. Kate, I wanted to ask you about our guy. Langston Anderson yeah. he catches uh, three of his four targets for 61 yards. He's actually able to get good separation on a couple of those slant routes when he was impressed and Rangel was able to find him, made a nice catch on a throw that was yeah. a little bit behind him. Gundy said that, that he told him to be careful walking back to the bus. Cause that's the first time they've had him in six weeks. And he, he wants to keep him out there because he saw some good things. So that's why we haven't seen Anderson. Uh, Robert Allen also confirmed this. He has been banged up. It hasn't been a discipline or, you know, just him not kind of getting the offense or anything. He's he's banged up again. But we see him out there, and he, he looks pretty good. Yeah, Dustin, you said uh, first time in six weeks. It feels like the first time in six years that they've had Langston Anderson <laughs> ever, out there. Yeah. Like, ever. Like, an actual game from him, and he makes a great catch on the sideline. I think he ran the wrong route on his other target. I can't, I can't be sure. Some of the, so many of these routes are option routes that you, you never really know who made the mistake. But I think you're right on that. Yeah, I, I think you know he showed flashes, and again with some of the injuries Oklahoma State's had, Jaden Bray, namely Braden Johnson, you need some more depth there, and and a guy that can get some separation, as you said. I'll give you some kudos. You called Brennan Presley having a good game. Seven catches for 59 yards. Just continues to be that volume guy. I mean, the the out route from the slot position is Oklahoma State's bread and butter. It feels like they're doing that better than they are running inside zone right now. Uh, It feels like when they go to that, it's going to work. So um, love what he was able to do. We have to maybe take a couple flowers back. From from a guy that's boogie, not unexpected from a, a true freshman who's really being thrust into this right now. But I I would say was really not a good game from him. Uh fully expect him to to bounce back, but he had a touchdown. I mean, he 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 probably owned some of his it was a nice uh, catch, some errors in that in that great end zone fade ball catch. So yeah, I think he has a little bit of trouble sometimes letting the ball get to his body. And I know that's not something that he does often or doesn't practice. I think it has to do with you trying to win the route, trying to make sure the timing's correct. And then he'll just let the ball get a little bit too far into his body, bounce off his shoulder pads. That's something he can easily correct. Cause I know it's not something that he does often. And he, if you've watched any of his highlight videos or any videos of him from high school, he is a 
absolute monster catching the football makes insane catches all the time. So I agree with you. I think it's something he'll clean up. He's definitely getting thrust in here early. We're going to need him. We're going to need Langston Anderson because I don't expect to see Jaden Bray again this season. He injured that thumb and I think he re injured it in the Texas tech game. And or I guess before that. So I don't think we'll see him back. I do think Braden Johnson is going to come back. I believe it's a leg injury. It sounds like they expect him to come back and maybe he might've even been ready to go last week and they kind of just held him out, but I don't think we'll see Bray. So we're definitely going to need Stefan. We're definitely going to need Langston JP. I'd love for him to get more targets. He caught <laughs> what I think he caught all three of his, Yeah, but you know, if you're going 11 personnel, you're only having, you only have three wide receivers out there. So Brennan and JP have to kind of swap in and out. So he's yeah. not going to ever get a million targets. I don't think as long as they're both playing and you're playing seven, almost 70% 11. Yeah. I, I think you're spot on. We've, I feel like we've said that every episode, like you got to get him the ball more, you know, but you look at the Texas game and he's just eating up targets. So I think there's a time and a place and uh, him and, Presley, both two really gifted inside receivers that, you know, both got to find their way together. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out over the next couple of years, especially as, you know, Richardson's career feels like it's just now kind of getting going. So um, again, the Oklahoma State's receivers, young, gifted, they have their moments and they also have their young moments. So I I, I can't give them, you know, a a full pass on, on this game. Um, I think they do a lot of good things, but there are some moments where it's like, man, there's some youth there, youth and inexperience. So yeah, just stru- just re- big time struggles on the outside with man coverage with yeah. press man. And it's something they'll work on. They'll improve. Uh, I think it'll get cleaned up. Yeah. And then you look up and you see, uh, you know, Langston Anderson making a diving catch on the sideline, uh, you know, Stefan Johnson going up and getting it. So th- again, they, they do a lot of great stuff. They're just young. So Dustin, let's let's flip it maybe to uh, the the lesser of uh, two fun conversations here. Oklahoma State defense. I I, I know Manhattan was rough. I, for some reason, I feel as though this was worse. I mean, do you? Yeah. I, so Tyler Lacey goes down after just nineteen snaps. There was seventy one total snaps on defense. When you lose him. We've talked about losing guys like Israel Antoine and Jaden Jernigan into the to the portal into the NFL at the end of the season. We've talked about the issues that defensive line has had, and when you lose your best player, and you've already lost Brendan Evers for a unit that was struggling, I, I just don't know. Once that happened, I was like, this this could be a long day for the defensive line, and. And it was uh, Devin Neal rushed for 224 yards. Kansas total rushed for 7.6 yards for carry and had 554 total yards of offense. It was a long day for the Cowboy defense. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna say 351 rushing yards is too many. I <laughs> that yeah, like like yeah, by one like or two, uh, too many. 250 uh, <laughs> too many rushing yards. That was. Uh, abysmal and you know I've had a lot of questions about you know scheme and other things like that what is Derek Mason doing I think you started it off with where I'm at like the interior of this defensive line is also banged up and also thin thin enough to where it exposes every other level of the defense and and it shows in the counterplays that KU ran 
Dustin, I just want to I just want to lay this out to you and you you tell me what this says. Oklahoma State's four leading tacklers in this game. Jason Taylor, Kendall Daniels, Jabbar Muhammad, Sean Michael Flanagan. Yeah, I you don't want that. <laughs> I don't, don't think four defensive backs. I don't think you want four defensive backs and four of them pl- who are really, I mean, Muhammad's playing that strike position. That's safety. Like they're playing safety. No, yeah. nobody in the first and second level is is really contributing, is what that tells you uh, in the grand scheme of this game. I think that right there is point blank the conversation. You have when you talk about this Oklahoma State defense right now, you have to talk about this interior defensive line, really. And then the inexperience at linebacker. I think Mason Cobb continues to have a great season, better than even expected, but he's one guy out of eleven. And and this as a unit right now is really, really getting exposed in the in the middle. Oh yeah. And you know, if the if the safeties are up there in tackles, Oklahoma State does utilize them in the run fits, but you don't want them to be the top four. You want yeah, right. Mason Cobb and Benson to be either one and two or one and three or two hundred percent. Like you they need to be in there. I think that's a great call out by you. So Oklahoma State schematically this game I think one thing that was really hurting them early, and Gundy mentioned KU was doing one thing. I think he said one or two things different in the run game that they hadn't seen on film. I don't know if this is exactly what he was referring to, but they went heavy 12 personnel, two tight end sets. And what they were doing is there was a formation they were running where it was twins to one side of the field, so two receivers. And on the other side, it was either both tight ends as H-backs kind of lined up next to each other. So they're slightly behind the tackle in a line or one tight end on the line of scrimmage, one at H-back. They were running to that side and releasing one of those tight ends up to either block the safety or to kind of seal off the linebacker. And then the other tight end was crashing down, down blocking on the Leo or the defensive end, basically completely shutting off Oklahoma State's ability to set the edge and funnel the run back into the middle of the field, back into the linebackers. And it worked perfectly. I think all of KU's huge runs by Neil were on that type of play. And they went to that formation heavily. You know, we're talking about KU switching up formations a lot, doing a lot of motion. In this game, they went to that formation, that 12 personnel look or a variation of it very heavily. Sometimes the tight end would be in the fullback spot in the backfield. And Oklahoma State had no answer for it. They kind of adjusted in the second half by they were bringing not only Daniels, but they were bringing a JT or a Lear Crawls down by the line of scrimmage too. And they were having the linebacker kind of go around instead of fitting in either the A or B gap, go around the edge, but it didn't really work out very well. There wasn't really a good answer for it. And KU just continued to gash them with it. And then once they had gashed them a bunch, the play action passing game and the quick passing game was there for Bean, who was extremely efficient. Oklahoma State just had no answers because KU had a counter to anything they tried to adjust with. Well, and and the two shovel passes that KU ran both go for 40 plus yards. It really was was 
just a, a master class of offensive coordinating and the timing of play calling because Oklahoma State's reeling. They're trying to adjust. Defensive lines getting spread out a little bit on the interior because they're expecting you to go one side. And then what does KU do? They get everybody looking over to the sideline and they shovel it right up the middle twice uh, and, and get significant yardage out of both of those plays. So I, I really liked what KU did, but it, it continues to show Oklahoma State's inability to get to the edge and set the edge. It feels like every offensive line has been able to release up to the second level and almost it, it feels like when you watch it, it feels like the offensive line is able to completely turn around and and twist off anybody coming near them. Like there were several times where it felt like the offensive line was almost vertical to where they started. So they start like parallel to the, you know, if you're looking at the the lines on the field, they start parallel. And then by the end of the play, they're going perpendicular. And it's like, well, yeah. that's not good. So just completely sealing them off. Yeah, it, it's crazy. And and it happens. It's happened really kind of all year. But over the last couple of weeks, it's it's felt like, you know, every offensive line has has been able to do that with with relative ease. And here's the here's the thing, you know, just kind of on to the defensive line, just specifically them. Colin Clay, we think Colin Clay is a great player. We think he's got a bright future. He's playing like 60 percent of the snaps at defensive tackle. Cody Walterscheid played his most snaps all season, almost 40 of the 71 snaps. These are guys that are solid depth pieces, but you don't want those two at this time playing 60% or more of your total snaps. You want Lacey, you want Brendan Evers, you want Sione Asi, and Evers is out, not coming back. Lacey's out, I don't think he's coming back. These other players, Samuela, they're guys, Xavier Ross, who I think are solid. They're good depth pieces, but I don't think they are good enough to stop some of these potent rushing attacks in the Big 12. And we've kind of seen that these past two weeks. And I'm not sure how they how they kind of stop even some of these teams coming going forward throughout the rest of the season with how banged up they are, and especially if Lacey can't come back. You really lost. I mean, Brendan Evers and Tyler Lacey were two guys that you talked about being key parts of your defensive line this year, and you don't have them right now. Yeah, and, and then you look back. We had this conversation last week, and I think the week before as we started to see the cracks really start to show up against some potent run, rushing attacks. You look back at Jaden Jernigan. You look back at uh, Israel Antoine, guys that could have been on this team and left. Look at the second level. I know we're not there yet, but Jarek Bernard Converse, Tanner McAllister, those are four players who right now would otherwise be on this roster had they not exited early. So, you know, everything has a uh, – there's a correlation to this. They're, they're, they're thin up there, but there's a reason that Oklahoma State, it looks like they're discombobulated. It's because everybody's able to get off free from their from the line, and and you've got you know Kendall Daniels for as talented and gifted as he is, you know he do you expect him to blow up counters every every you know snap? That I don't yeah, think so. No. I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's going to work well. So yeah, no, I it's a great and he doesn't have a ton of experience taking on these huge offensive <laughs> right, college offensive right. linemen. So, uh, looking at the Leos, you know, you lose Ford. It doesn't sound like he's going to be back anytime soon, if at all, this season. So, you're going with Oliver, Martin, and Kapinski. 
Kaminsky only, I think only had like five or six snaps, but you know, Brock Martin, we know his injury history. We know how long he's been played and we know that he gives effort in plays, even if he's banged up, he looks like he's playing a little bit banged up right now. Really the only time he's able to disrupt the play is if he makes a guess and shoots a gap and gets there before the offensive lineman and makes the tackle. He is having a lot of trouble taking on offensive linemen by himself, especially if they even throw, if they throw a double team at him, he's pretty much completely washed, which, you know, there's two guys coming at you, but I I thought he's, I think he just looks hurt and he's probably playing through it because he's extremely tough and, you know, he plays hard for his team, but they just, the Leos are just not having a good stretch of games right now. Colin Oliver missed several tackles. He's, kind of struggled against the run so far. You know, we know how good he is in pass in the pass rush, but he struggled against the run. And then Kapinski's a solid player, but you know, one of his snaps, they have him drop. We've seen it this year. You know, they bring the blitz from one side and drop him into coverage. And I don't think he's the Leo you want in coverage. He got beat, not didn't drop far enough back into his zone and get the pass goes over his head. I thought the Leos didn't play well either. So I'm counting them on the defensive lines, kind of subpar performance in this game. Yeah, and it, and it's it's the continuation of a trend, right? Teams are able to go quick pass because interior defensive line can't get pressure. Uh, you've got inexperienced corners out there who who may be giving up a little bit too much space, um, and it's it's a self fulfilling prophecy. At that point, you're you're not able to get pressure, um, and then. <laughs> when when you feel like you know what they're going to do, they'll shovel pass it on you and go. It's like it just is is really tough to watch right now uh, because it feels like anything they try is not working. But yeah, the Leos, I would say in a disappointing year, they have been a unit in general that has done some good things, but I would say has been a disappointment from and and I'm not I'm not taking a shot. I'm just saying. From preseason expectations, we thought this was one of the best units in the country. I do not feel like that anymore, is what I'll say. Yeah, and it goes along with all those things you said, you know, talking about the interior defensive line struggling, you know, some some things in coverage, especially in zone coverage, which they played a lot of in this game, having some issues. You know, last season when you have Jock Bernard Converse, <laughs> Christian Holmes, Tanner McAllister, who were all kind of in press man on their receivers – you know, by the time the receiver is able to even get a little bit of space, the Leos are there. Well, so, and you and you had two NFL linebackers and an NFL starter behind you uh, that I think probably really covered some things up that now are not being covered up. So yeah, and they're doing a little bit more off man coverage. We've talked about that on here, especially to the field, and maybe that's leading to some of it. But I think that's due to the personnel you have out there. And I know that's something Mason has done in other stops, but I, I do think that's kind of personnel driven. But on on those linebackers, speaking of that, kid, we've seen it. We talked about it last week. If Mason Cobb isn't able to make a play, like so say he gets washed or he maybe fits the run incorrectly, which doesn't happen a ton, the fitting the run incorrectly, but he will get washed if there's two offensive linemen coming at him because they get by the interior defensive line. Benson is unable to make up for that. Whereas if Benson gets washed, Cobb is able to make up at times. And I think that's the trend in the the key with Benson that we're seeing. I'm not saying he's a bad player. I'm not saying overall like he had a terrible, horrible game because some of that's on the defensive line as well. But I think his inability to make up for 
Cobb getting washed is something that we really miss from the Malcolm and yep. Devin duo. When one of them struggled, missed assignment, got washed, the other one was normally there to make the play because they were that athletic, that smart, that experience of players. And we just don't see that this year. And and that's kind of going above and beyond expectations. That's exceeding your, you know, your job description. Yeah, absolutely. But it's just something we haven't seen. No, and and that's why I call it out because it's like there's there's so many factors to this. And I think this the most surprising thing to me is OSU's inability over the last couple of weeks to defend the run. It, it was not something cool and tackle. <laughs> like, yeah, oh my gosh. It's not something we talked about in the preseason. It was all the secondary, right? We knew the front six, front seven, whatever you want to call it in this, in this, uh, you know, scheme. We, we never talked about OSU's inability to defend the run, but it, it is there right now. And it's, you know, covering in space, tackling in space just has not been, has not been what you needed uh, this year. So. And, and Kate, you know, I hate, I hate to go here with this because it's it's not something you can really quantify. You can say you see things on the field like jogging and stuff like that. But, you know, we talked about the offensive line playing through injury. Some of these wide receivers playing through injury. Spencer Sanders playing with like basically a weekend burn at Bernie situation for Spencer. You know, on the defense, I know these guys are banged up. I know some of these guys are inexperienced. Some of this mistackling, some of these missed tackles, it almost looks like an effort thing. Mm. And and if they're hurt, you know, I'm not saying I could go out there and do it, but it looks like it sometimes. And maybe, you know, when you are getting gashed in the run and it's the third quarter, you know, your your inclination is to, hey, you know, I'm not going to get him. I'm just going to jog over there. I think you saw that a little bit in this game. I'm not saying we've seen it all season. I think you saw that a little bit in this game, and it was a little disheartening to see from an Oklahoma State team who usually, you know, the, the discipline and toughness is their, you know, their hashtag, their mantra. I didn't think we saw that from the defense in this game. And and it's not something I normally like to call out because I have no idea. It's just from, you know, seeing what I saw on rewatch a couple of times and making that, you know, that kind of just stuck out in my brain. But uh, did you see that at all? Am yeah. That, no, no, no. I, I don't think you are. There's actually something I wanted to talk with you about was was body language in general from the defense in this game. There were some some shrugged shoulders, some frustration after, you know, and again, you're getting gashed for what feels like 20 yards of pop. I get it. But I hadn't seen that level of, you know, just almost like it felt like disappointment. <laughs> like it felt even like hopeless at times, like even the defense felt hopeless. Like we're, we're out of position. We can't tackle these guys. And when we do, we're tackling them from behind to keep them out of the end zone. Like I, I would agree with you. I, I didn't notice as much of the, the jogging. There were several occasions though. I did kind of note that, but it was really kind of the, the overall body language that was disheartening. And I get it again, but it's not something I remember seeing a whole lot last year, even early this year. I think I think some of those guys on the edge getting maybe a little tired of having to clean up so much on the interior of that defense. Because, I mean, again, I listed the top four tacklers. Seven of the eight leading tacklers are defensive backs of some variety in this game, and that is not what you need. Yeah, it's it's really not. And Gunny even noted as much, you know, some of the tracking they have on the players in game. He said this was one of the slower games from the defense kind of tracking wise. So it's something that's even coming out in their analytics, but I I thought it was just something we had to call out because I know we both noted it and both talked about it off the pod, but um, looking at the defensive backs, 
I, I'm not sure. I, I don't even really want to include Jabbar Muhammad in yeah, any but, negative yeah. talk because they are <laughs> he played both that nickel strike safety and corner in this game. A position one of those positions he hasn't even practiced very much at is since fall camp. They're asking him to do so much. He's not a very big guy. And he, he listed him as one of the top four tacklers. He's having to set the edge out there at times, taking on linemen. If, you know, KU's running that formation, I'm talking about they're bringing Jabbar close to the line of scrimmage on the empty side, the side with the tight ends. And he's having to take on a tight end at his size. Being able to fight through it and make tackles is pretty impressive. I didn't think he was terrible in coverage. They didn't throw at him a lot. And again, they played a, they played quite a bit of zone in this game. But I, I think Jabbar, kind of by himself, I didn't think he was that bad. I wasn't super impressed by Corey. I know Jason Taylor is playing extremely banged up. He had a couple nice tackles, but I thought it was probably one. I don't know if it's fair to say his worst or at least second worst game out there. Kendall Daniels, we talked about him. He hustles 110% every play. He'll fit wrong, miss assignments, but he's always given a big-time effort. Just missed a couple tackles in this one. Lyric Rawls, very inexperienced. I think he played 20 snaps in this game. I'm not going to grade him on, on those 20 because he hasn't played very much at all. And then Shawn Michael Flanagan's playing banged up. I thought he was okay. But the defensive backs, this is the first game I think I'm really going to say not not a great game from them overall. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think it's fair. I, I, I don't think you could leave this game having had any particular unit above a C C minus C like nobody really was great. But again, I, I think you're asking those guys to do so much right now. They're so young too. you got Lyric Rawls and Cam Smith who have not played. I mean, they've played this season, but they're, they're playing ahead of when you would kind of expect or even prefer them to. Um, so it, it's, it's not a great situation right now. And yeah, I love, I love your caveat to leave, kind of, leave Muhammad out of this. He's, he's doing all he can, I think right yeah, now. Protect him. And he was actually one of the guys I noticed, like, you know, uh, maybe a little frustrated out there and, and, and I can understand why. Uh, but yeah, you, you look at every level of this defense right now, there's key injuries. Um, you just, you just hope like after all of this having been said that they can figure out a way to keep the wheels on, even if they've already fallen off, let's throw some spares on, let's get a couple of wins getting out of this season. Cause, cause I, I worry about those guys going forward um, just from a mindset standpoint, you know, the defense is going to be the uh, you know, it, it's going to be the thing that gets talked about going into this off season. They're going to hear that uh, whether that's a good thing or bad thing. I don't know, but this is not the same situation as we had going into this previous season where, you know, the talk is, can the defense continue the Jim Knowles legacy this is no, can Oklahoma state's defense not be one of the worst in the conference? And that's a, that's going to be hard for some of those guys. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think it's a great call out. Just the fact that some of these guys are younger. You want some positives going into the end yeah. of the season into next season, like Cam Smith, Lear Rawls. We talked about Ken, even Kendall Daniels. So we'll see. I, I think you know, a lot of these guys are playing banged up. You know, Jason Taylor, you see him get injured. He comes back in the game, gets injured, comes back in the game. And I know I'm saying he struggled probably due to being injured, but it, it was a tough go from him in this game. And yeah, it's, I, I didn't have a ton of the defensive backs. You know, there was, they really only let Luke Grimm 
kind of get going aside from, you know, Devin Neal going over a hundred yards receiving and 8 million yards rushing. Yeah. Right. Luke Grimm was really the only guy that hurt him kind of receiving wise. He had the one fade ball to Lawrence Arnold where he catches it over Cam Smith. But other than that, I, I didn't think they were terrible, but Bean also didn't throw it a ton. And when he did, he was really efficient. So I just don't think you can give him, like you said, I, I don't think you can grade him anything above average. Yeah, I mean, Devin Neal had 335 all-purpose yards. Like that's too many. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's just way tough. Too. I'm ready to ball this one up and throw it in the fire though. I, I let's do it. I, I'm done with it. Um, I, I'm glad you were there. Uh, hopefully Lawrence treated you good enough in the evening to, uh, yeah, to, we got, to wash we that got, one uh, we got some good victories later, later yeah, in the night yeah, that, good. that made yeah. up for it. Not, not completely made up for it. Cause I'm, you know, I'm Oklahoma state first, but we had some, yeah. uh, we had some nice wins later. Yeah. Well, how about that stadium too? That boy, that, that's a, that's an old tackle box, isn't it? I was, you know, I, I had heard from you, from others about what to expect with the stadium, but yeah, it's. It's something and not in a good way. It's like nothing you would think still exists in a power five conference. They're going to redo it, but you walk down there and the end zone is open. It's like, <laughs> how am I walking into a stadium this way? It's just a very strange thing. Yeah, I actually thing. took a couple snaps pregame with the uh, with the third team <laughs> offense. You could you could find your way into the locker room if you if you were <laughs> like you know lost enough. You could find yeah. your way into the visiting locker room, no problem. It's a weird. The campus weird... is really cool, though. Beautiful and, and campus. Everything else, the bar scene, the restaurants were great, but the uh, the stadium, yeah, it is not not great. <laughs> well, speaking of opportunities, we just talked about opportunities to to succeed and and feel good about going into the next year. I would say this is one of your opportunities, right? I mean, you get Iowa State coming in. At home, a team that has struggled really all year to get anything going. I would say they're probably one of the more frustrated teams in this conference. Every time they get a win, that you know, it's it's one step forward, two steps back with them. The thing that they've got going for them right now, Dustin, is they've got the conference's best defense. And I, I didn't expect that coming into this year, but they're playing well really at every level. I know we're we don't we don't normally start on the defense, but when you think about Iowa State, you know, obviously last year. Um, you know, Brees Hall in the NFL, Brock Purdy. I don't know if he's in the NFL. I think he is, but not not quite sure on that. But regardless, they lose a lot offensively, take some steps back. Um, but they, they've they've been decent offensively, but it's really been a, a leaning on the defense type of effort for them this year. Yeah, the, their offense is, I mean, they're just not very explosive. You know, we talked about Oklahoma State not breaking a ton of big runs. They're not very explosive. I, You know, if, if we kind of want to talk about their schematically and some of their personnel, they've got some players. You know, Tom Manning, he's been with Matt Campbell at Mountain Union, Toledo, Iowa State. I think that he left one year to go to the NFL, but they've been together for forever. I think Campbell even coached him during his playing career. So this is another kind of KU situation where the coordinators have been with the head coach for a long time. Their offense is pretty multiple. It's not as fun as some of the offenses we've seen recently, the Texas, the K-State, the KU. They're mainly going 11 and 12 personnel. They have their their kind of cowboy back tight ends, which they kind of list as an F, a fullback, Jared Russ and Steve O'Klotz. And then they've got the more pass-catching tight ends in Easton Dean and Deshaun Hanica. They're Normally those guys are out there. On the ground, 
a lot of zone stuff. They will mix in some gap scheme like power, and they'll mix in some QB runs. Hunter Decker's he's a pretty mobile guy. He's not the fastest guy in the world, but he's a good runner. I think he's probably a better runner than Purdy. He he's broken off some big runs so far this year. Last year, they killed Oklahoma State with the RPO game, whether that was the glance or the quick out RPO. They've got a great RPO scheme. Their drop back game kind of matches the rest of the Big 12. It's nothing, you know, too crazy. And then they'll throw in a trick play at least once a game. For them, I think the key for Oklahoma State, you got to take away the running game. You can't let them get going there. And then you got to give help on Xavier Hutchinson. They're probably one of the best, if not the best, wide receiver in the Big 12. They line him up all over the field, they'll put him in the slot. They'll put him in the backfield. They'll put him in H-back. They'll put him outside. He's the guy you have to keep an eye on. But it, it's an offense that on paper, you're like, why are they not really good? But they're just not. Yeah, it's interesting because Hunter Deckers has more passing yards than Spencer Sanders. He's got more passing attempts than Spencer Sanders. And Xavier Hutchinson is a 1,000-yard receiver. So why are they not hanging uh, 40 points on people? We I don't really understand. I feel like it's not the way Campbell's teams have played in the past. Brees Hall, it was it was ground and pound, kind of get exotic, throw it to the tight ends. Just looks a lot different this year. So I, I don't know if maybe they're they're trying to figure themselves out, or maybe this is new territory. But that would be my only kind of gut reaction to that because they're putting up yards, but they just don't score a whole lot. And so it's a little strange to me. They've had some turnover issues, and then you know they just really haven't got anything explosive going. You know, Hutchinson, they like to throw it to him underneath a lot. He's not you know catching the ball super far downfield or anything like that every single play. So it's it's kind of a little bit of that. You know what what you alluded to as well. Um, offensive line, Trevor Downing at center, Daryl Simmons at right guard. And Jake Rimsburg at right tackle, along with Jared Hufford at left guard. Pretty much their entire offensive line is solid. They've had a little bit of issues in pass pro this year. Rimsburg was hurt, and uh, Grant Traber played a little bit for him at tackle. Run blocking, though, they make the offense go run blocking wise. You know, it, no matter who they have at running back, whether it be a Brees Hall or whether it be me or you, this offensive line makes their their run yeah. blocking go. I think the key here for Oklahoma State, you got to try to generate some pressure on I mean, Hunter Deckers because he, if he gets pressured, we've seen him throw interceptions this year. He's got a big arm and he knows he's got a big arm and he's fine throwing it into coverage he has thrown a lot of interceptions that the underneath linebackers have picked off so it's it's kind of getting pressure on him and maybe exploiting some of the weaknesses on this offensive line and pass pro would be keys for oklahoma state well i mean you me and you in the backfield that's a thunder and lightning type of approach right (laughs) that's 20 personnel yeah that's right uh the other thing too uh you talked about hunter decker's the kids are calling that a hose. Like when a guy's got an arm that he knows he's got, he's like, I got a hose on. And I'm like, Eli Manning said it like 40 times in, in one of the uh, latest uh, Madden, uh, you know, or not Madden. I'm sorry. The, the Manning cast. Yeah. The Manning cast. Yeah. He kept saying that. I'm like, that's fantastic. <laughs> need to bring that up so I can start saying it on the podcast. Cause Hunter Deckers <laughs> does have a hose. And uh, I, I think you're right. He loves to let it rip, but um, I, I think you're spot on too. 
the the narrative you and I have had though is can you get pressure on him? And the last quarterback that they were able to consistently get pressure on was Quinn Ears. We saw what happened there. So yeah, if they could get pressure, they could make quarterbacks uncomfortable. But they got two on J- Jason Bean. So that that's yeah. a problem. Yeah. So uh running running back wise, uh Jarrell Brock has been their kind of main guy at running back. He left the last game with injury. In Campbell's press conference today, he said Brock practiced on Sunday. He should be good to go. They've got guys behind him like Cartavius Norton, sorry, (laughs) and Deion Silas, who's a younger guy, that have gotten some carries, and they're not terrible. Brock hasn't been fantastic. He's not Brees Hall. So he he's not a bad running back, but he's definitely not Brees Hall. Like I said, though, this running game is based off this offensive line. They're a solid offensive line, and they can block for – Pretty much anybody. So if Brock's out, I think it's a blow, but I don't think it's massive. The other, and then finally, the only skill position I don't think we haven't talked about is Xavier Hutchinson's running mates. The reason why he, I think the reason why he's had even more success this year than we've seen is because they've had a guy come up, come out in the slot, Jalen Noel, yes. who is very, very talented, and offenses have to keep an eye on him now. Yeah, no, no question. I mean, he's he's torn up a lot of teams this year. Seven catches, 54 yards against OU, six for 94 against Texas. He's a guy that, like, if you line those two up together, I, I worry about what Oklahoma State's going to be able to do with the young and kind of inexperienced secondary because they've shown the ability to, to move the football that way. Um, maybe not all together in the same game, but if they were going to put it together – there's a universe I could envision where it's this game where you've got, you know, two guys that are a mismatch for a, for a young secondary right now. Yeah. And then the, uh, the last guy they have at receiver, Dimitri Stanley burner, Colorado transfer. If they throw it deep, they'll probably throw it to him. He plays their Z position. You know, they've got Sean Shaw, Darren Wilson, Aiden bitter, some other guys they'll rotate in there at, at wide receiver, but I, I would, you know, look to see Hutchinson, Stanley, and Noel, and then if they throw to the tight end, it'd probably be Hanukkah. He's yeah. kind of been there. I think he had a touchdown in the West Virginia game, but that's kind of it on their offense, kid. I think they're gonna, I think they're gonna try to get that RPO game going. I think what Oklahoma State needs to do is you have to keep extra help over Hutchinson, but it's not always so much a safety because, like I said, it's not that they're always throwing him deep balls. You maybe need to mix in some zone, maybe some cover three, some quarter stuff linebackers are dropping into underneath zones and taking away those quick slants, maybe some cover two taking away the quick outs, but you've got to have some extra help because I don't know. Muhammad, I mean, he may be able to handle Hutchison for part of the game in press man, but I don't think Muhammad and black could do that for an entire game. And especially if Cam Smith is out there, if, if Muhammad has to play strike for Harper again, I just don't think there's any way and not, not a shot at them. Hutchinson just literally is that good. Yeah, that, that's the thing for me is it's what do you do to I, I feel like you're going to have to give something up. You know what I mean? Like it's going to be no, it's going to be Hutchinson. If you get out of this game with one of those guys being both of those guys being under 80 yards, I would say that's a success. Um, and again, that feels like a lot, but they, they want to throw the ball to those guys. And I would think this matchup would be appealing. So yeah, that that's that's an area that I've got circled for sure. Is is what what can a 
Jabbar Muhammad, Corey Black, and again, I'm loop, I'm lumping Cam Smith into that because he's going to be involved. What can that group do here? I think I think they've got the tools, but I, I worry about their um, their overall ability as a unit against those two guys. Yeah, I mean, this is the big. If the defense can slow them down, that that'll give OSU a chance. If not, it's going to be a it's going to be a tough day because Iowa State's defense is yeah. solid. And I mean, they're they're tenth in the country in total defense, and far and away, the the best statistically in the conference. I think the next closest is Baylor, and they're they're a couple of tens of spots down below Iowa State. So this is this is a test that Oklahoma State has not seen. You factor in the injuries on the offensive line that Oklahoma State has, some inexperience in youth at wide receiver. This is going to have to be a clean game. There's there's no question about it. No room for four turnovers. Um, four turnovers may get you beat worse than last week. Um, I, I don't think Iowa State's better than KU. I think they may be more dangerous, though. I think, you could, I, I think this could get away from you faster with, with the way Iowa State's defense plays. Yeah, I completely agree. We won't go too deep into the scheme on them because, I, you know, you and I talked about this scheme last year. I've written about it for Pistols Firing. We've talked about three three fives already this year, but John Heacock, he's the the godfather of the three three five that everybody's trying to copy at Iowa State. They use that middle safety who in, in this game, it'll be Bo Freiler. Kind of how most three three five teams use their nickel as like that strong side linebacker. Iowa State uses their middle safety like that. You have to know where he is at all times as a quarterback because he can make you pay up front. They'll do tight front, which you've heard kind of associated with Iowa State in the past, or they'll do kind of some of that double heavy five techniques. They're a bend don't break, but they they really they're really going to stop the run with as minimal guys as possible, and they've done it well all year. And what they do is if you try to get outside on them, if you try to run something to the perimeter, their middle safety, their perimeter guys are crashing down, the ball. especially if they're in cover two, their cornerbacks play the run really well because they can kind of peek inside when they're in that flat coverage. So that's kind of what they like to do there. And it's, you know, it's continued to work extremely well for Heacock and Campbell the entire pretty much their entire tenure at Iowa State yeah and and right now they're playing you know complimentary football at all all and and you usually think of that in terms of the way the offense defense special teams plays together every level of that defense plays well off of each other that they're a solid unit I don't think you get to that level in in college football without being it but I I just I think Oklahoma State has a a challenge on their hands like they haven't had this season. Um, it, it's it's comparable to Baylor with maybe a better secondary. Is I guess the way I would say that. Yeah, no, I agree. And kind of personnel wise up front, everybody knows Will McDonald. They're Leo. That's a guy you got to watch for. He's a guy that's going to play on Sundays. He had some issues early in his career, kind of against the run. You were able to move him out, but yeah. he has improved on that. He's got great technique, and his burst off the line of scrimmage is incredible. At defensive tackle, J.R. Singleton, he left the last game with injury, but it sounds like Campbell made it sound like he was going to play. They'll use their nose guard, Isaiah Lee. Got Blake Peterson at the other end when they go kind of with another end out there, but if they go that typical three down, you'll see McDonald and his backup, M.J. Anderson, 
very talented player as well. I mean, he's not just as good as McDonald, but he is still really, really good. He's a Minnesota transfer. Those guys up front are dangerous. Yeah, and and you know, you look at some of the guys they lost last year. It feels like they reloaded at some of those spots. I mean, their their linebacker core was great last year. They've lost some. And then they just reload and they've got more guys. So you just mentioned the Minnesota transfer. Um, they've, they've got a brand of football. It's just if the offense can follow usually is, is the key to success for Campbell because they've usually got the defense on lock. Yeah. Uh, at linebacker, middle linebacker, Ryan Vance, 6'2", 260 pounds, just a, <laughs> a ball of muscle at their middle linebacker spot. He's been banged up, but they got him back last game and he's, really really solid they've got their uh delaware transfer colby reader who plays that strong side linebacker when they use him out there he's really talented and then uh gary vaughn at the weak side linebacker spot their linebackers are i mean everybody on this defense is really good i think orion vance is probably your star of the linebacker group he's the guy you got to watch out for but all all three of those guys that play and even will mclaughlin when he rotates in and kendall jackson they're both really solid yeah i mean it, it's it's what i just said like last year it was rose and eisworth now it's these guys they, yeah. they really have have kind of recalibrated with what they've got and uh, they haven't missed a beat they're they're not going to change what they do but um it, it's impressive. Yeah. And then in the defensive backfield, Anthony Johnson Jr., I believe he played cornerback in the past, maybe even last year. He's their free safety now. We talked about their middle safety, Bo. And then at boundary safety, Jeremiah Cooper. So Malik Verdon was the starter at the beginning of the season. They lost him. And then Cooper actually got hurt in the last game. Campbell didn't mention anything, but it sounds like he's going to play. That could be an injury to watch, though, because he's already the backup. and He's really good, but he's yeah. already the backup. So I, they might do some mixing around in their safeties, you know, use a guy that, you know, normally plays boundary safety at free safety or free safety boundary safety, you know, kind of mix around like that. But that's something to watch. And then Miles Purchase and TJ Ch- Tampa at corners, they've been solid. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I don't know how Oklahoma State finds sustained success. I think there are some ways. I think this is a game – you probably need a Braden Johnson back or somebody to step up down the field uh, because I, I think they're going to have to figure out a way to keep Iowa State from essentially manning up on the outside and stacking the box. I, the thing about that, though, Iowa State doesn't have to do that to stop Oklahoma State from running the football. Like They don't have to load up on the box. So I will be curious to see what they do because usually that dictates what Oklahoma State's going to do offensively. But yeah, they're going to need somebody to step up because I think that Iowa State secondary is really good. I think what you have to do early to Iowa State is get the quick passing game going. Slot receivers, even you know, maybe some RPO glance stuff that we've seen from the outside guys. I think you got to get the slot receivers going. You got to get them to spread out and not stack the box like you alluded to. Even though I know I they could stop the run with very minimal numbers. As much as you can spread them out, you can't. You've got to take that opportunity. And Iowa State will give you the short passing game. They want you to try to go down the field and throw the ball twelve times on a drive because they think you will mess up. But if you can get that quick passing game going early, open some things up with the run game, then you can take some deep shots down the field later and take a deep shot up the seam against their zone coverage to my guy Rashad Owens, who's going to catch a big long pass 
this game. 100% guarantee. Mark that down. I don't know if it's a prize picks, but if it is, you should take it. And, and I, that's what you got to do. I, it's not a, I'm making it sound like a simple game plan, but it's what Iowa State is giving you and they know that. So you have to take it. Yeah. Yeah. No question. Speaking of prize picks, Dustin, nice work. If you use our promo code feels 12 on your first deposit, you they'll actually match you a hundred percent up to a hundred dollars. So you should do that. Download prize picks on the app store. Uh, and and see if you can get Rashad Owens over a uh, half a touchdown. So see see if you can do that with Prize Picks and use our promo code Fields Twelve. I'm ready to pick this. This is a, Let's a do it. This is a weird one because Iowa State actually enters Stillwater as a slight favorite. Oklahoma State, mind you, has won 13 straight home games, which is a program record. So th- this is this is unique, but maybe not unexpected. ESPN FPI actually gives Oklahoma State a 55% to 45% advantage. Iowa State enters the game as one-point favorites over under at 48 and a half. Dustin, how do you see this game going? Okay. I'm not going to like go back and say that use this as an excuse later, but this is how I'm going to pick the game. I think that Spencer Sanders is going to play again this season. A lot of people are, you know, there's a lot of rumors flying out there that it'll be Bedlam. I think he comes back for this game. I think he's able to kind of complete those quick passes, save his arm string up for later in the game when he rips some downfield. I think he's going to feel healthy enough to run the football, which will open things up if you can use the quarterback run game. And I'm going to take Oklahoma State 27, Iowa State 24. I like it. I love the asterisk, like with Spencer Sanders. With Spencer Sanders, I think Oklahoma State can win any game they play. So, you know, if they've got him, I may take it a little bit more high scoring because I I think it's going to have to be. Uh, I would actually – I would think if Spencer plays, I'll take OSU 37-31. If he does not play, I think it looks a lot different and I get a little worried. I know we just, you know – Gave Garrett Rangel a lot of credit. I would think he'd be the guy in this game. I worry about what that Iowa State pass rush and secondary can do to a young quarterback like that. So with Spencer, I'll take Oklahoma State. Without, I feel like it's a like lock of the week, Iowa State minus one. I actually would would see them going away similar to the way KU was able to, um, you know, force a couple of mistakes get a short field, take some shots. Um, and, and I don't even know the score. I'm not sure I want to pick that, but uh, I could see it going the other way in a hurry without a Spencer Sanders. You need, you need other guys back to outside of just him. So, yeah, I, I think they get Johnson back. I think the defense gets a couple turnovers, maybe not two picks from Deckers, but I believe he throws one. You get those turnovers kind of have some methodical time eating drives down the field with the short passing game. And I know Oklahoma State has, you know, won when they've scored more, but I think they can win this one in a kind of lower scoring game if Sanders is back. I, I love it. I mean, golly, that would be nice if they could just give up way fewer points and score just, like that would feel like last year and it would feel like the brand of football I know you and I love. So yeah, that that would be Maybe phenomenal. A field goal thrown in there oh, as well. I, I love where you're headed with this, Dustin. This is really good. Really good stuff. All right. Well, 
let's let's hope that's the case. Let's hope Oklahoma State comes out with a win. Uh, actually, a blackout game in Stillwater, two thirty kick. I don't know how I feel about the two thirty blackout, but uh, we'll see how it looks on TV. Uh, I won't actually be at the game. It's the first game this year I'm missing. Uh, but uh, hope you guys enjoy it there, Dustin. And uh, yeah, any final thoughts on this game before we move on? No, no, I think I think I'm good. I uh, I know I'm being overly optimistic, but no, no, that's needed. I it is needed. I've I've picked against Oklahoma State. You know, I did last week. I hedged my bet this week. Um, I I, I like where you're at. I, I needed a shot of that optimism this week. So I may just bet Iowa State money line and then every week as it goes on, just emotionally hedge bet. So that way, whatever happens, I'm okay. So yeah, yeah, I like that. That may not be healthy. We'll see. All right. Before we go, let's take a break and hear a quick word from one of our sponsors. Check out Homefield Apparel's new Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have. I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Homefield Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. I mean, the curse of cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Homefield Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members, Colorado, with a throwback t-shirt on their website. I'm just a big fan of Homefield stuff, and the quality is unbelievable. So check them out at homefieldapparel.com. And when you use our promo code feels 12 you actually will get a discount. That's right. Feels 12. We'll get you 15% off your first order when you use our promo code feels 12 at homefieldapparel.com. Check them out right now and tell them that the feels like 45 podcast. All right, Dustin, I, I, I should have said not before we go, before we get to Boynton ball. I mean, here we go. Here we go. For a lot of you, this may basketball season started early, right? Uh, for you and I, Dustin, it started last night. I think for others, it may have happened around two thirty-eight <laughs> in Manhattan. So don't give up on football. But now I, th- I think Oklahoma State might have a basketball team. Dustin opens the season with a 77 to 66 win over UT Arlington and actually a game where they had opened up a 31 point lead. I think, you know, obviously Oklahoma State starts this game of 12 from beyond the arc, but the the key for me is it feels like they've got some shooters now. It feels like they've got some some shot creators. John Michael Wright, the point guard transfer from High Point, was a bright spot. Left the game with an injury, but comes back or doesn't come back. But is it was feared to be at that point like season ending. But it was a double leg cramp, which I've never heard that. But uh, that's really unfortunate. Sounds miserable. <laughs> Sounds absolutely awful. Um, but yeah, I mean, Dustin, what, what were your thoughts? I really liked what I saw on night one. Yeah, so did I. And, you know, definitely follow along on the Twitter, the Feels feels Like 45 Twitter account this year during basketball, just like we did last year, be clipping kind of highlights during the game. You know, and if Kate and I have time, we can even do some film stuff on basketball, but we'll definitely be locked in for, I would think, most games this season, kind of like we were last year. So keep it there, but keep it locked there. Yeah, like what you said with the shooting early, it seemed like, and Boynton alluded to this in his post-game presser, the shots weren't falling early, so to make up for that, they just started shooting more for shots <laughs> to try to just kind of get some to fall. And then they come out in the second half, and they 
actually, you know, kind of run the offense, get it inside, do a couple of different things, get Caleb Boone going. You talked about John Michael Wright. And I, I think I really liked what this team brought in the second half. But my kind of key is even with the offensive struggle struggles, they never really let up on defense no, in the first half. No. They continued the defensive intensity. And that's kind of been a staple of these Boynton teams. And it's good to see that that's going to continue into this season. One of the things I really liked about it, too, was there was some balanced scoring in this game. We talked a lot about this a few years ago uh, with, with Cade Cunningham, how balanced that team was. You look at this stat line, Caleb Boone with 15 and 8, John Michael Wright with 14 and 3, Bryce Thompson with 18 and 7. Like I, I don't know the last time you had really uh, two guards and a forward with that stat line. But that's that's what it's going to take this year. There are polls that have Oklahoma State as high as like fourth in the Big 12 this year. It's going to take a big year from both of those guards and Caleb Boone, who I thought last night was the best player on the floor. He was where he was supposed to be. He was active. And I wonder, Dustin, I wonder if getting him moved into the, into the four spot gets him more engaged with the flow of the game. He's not camped down low. He's not posting up. He's not being bodied all game. I wonder going forward if we will look back and wish we had seen more Caleb Boone at the four. It's a little weird seeing him step out and guard the perimeter. He handled it really well last night, though. But I think offensively, what he brings at the four is a completely different skill set than what we had seen the past several years with him. So I I really loved what I saw. I completely agree. Caleb looked awesome. You know, you and I were talking Caleb Boone every single podcast last year, especially when he wasn't getting very many minutes. And, you know, do you see him perform really well, him perform poor? So he was a big part of our <laughs> basketball talk last season. So it was awesome to see him out of that kind of game. And him and Cissé, like you said, they worked well together. We see Cissé hit him twice on assist on what Caleb Boone called that yo-yo pass kind of where where Cissé's out a little bit from the post and he's passing it down to Caleb, who's in the dunker spot. That that worked really well. If they can continue doing some of that stuff, feeding off each other, that's going to be big time. And like you said, Caleb looked good on the perimeter last night. You know, UT Arlington maybe probably doesn't have the best offensive perimeter players, but it's good to get him some of that experience and for him to play positively. I really, really liked what I saw from Bryce Thompson as well. You know, he has 18 points. It felt like a quiet 18, but it did pretty efficient on six of 13. He had seven rebounds to assist. He was a guy, Cade, if you remember, and because he had (laughs) such a good game this first game, when we got this question way too early, I said he was going to be averaging around, I think I said 17 points a game. Yeah, I think he's starting out great with that 18 pointer. So, yeah, you, dude, you're all over it. I mean, what did you say after the (laughs) Texas game? What do you know? What was the final score of that game? I can't remember. Whatever it was, 41 34. Well, it's your new tattoo. I just saw it. You got it on your back. So, (laughs) anyway, no, I I loved it. I I think you're going to have to get that out of Bryce, though, more nights than not. Um, I, I loved what I saw out of Caleb Asbury, too. Dare I say, generally an upgrade over Rondell. Not not taking a shot on the way out, but I I think probably more athletic, maybe a more well-rounded basketball player at this phase of his career. I just I look at the guys that have left. Isaac Likely, um, you look at uh, Donovan Williams, Keelan Boone, and then who they brought in: John Michael Wright, 
Caleb Asbury. I can't help but think that what you may have lost in numbers, you gained in maybe more quality depth because I think those guys are 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 basketball players. Yeah, I completely agree. I loved Asbury. It, all those things you said kind of better than Rondell, but he doesn't lack the motor. No, like no. Same motor as Rondell. You know, I was going the entire time pressing up the whole floor, which, you know, I don't always love that, especially when you're up big, but it's great to see he can do it the entire game and not get tired. Well, it's really easy to compare him to because they look exactly the same. I, I gave my dad a hard time. They wear the same number. They got the same that same hair. I, my, I gave my dad a hard time. He texted me last night. He said, I don't recognize any of these people. I said, well, there's only two new guys, and one of them looks exactly <laughs> like Rondell Walker. So you're being a little dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> and I think really, Cade, maybe the only negative, and I know he looked good in the exhibition, was Woody Newton just – it looks like he can't really find himself at times, like doesn't know what – exactly he should be doing i think he's a talented player and i think that'll correct but he was a little all over the place last night and it led to a a couple quick turnovers you had where he turned it over himself and then where asbury throws it off the bottom of the goal when you know i'm not sure why woody was even going over to that side of the floor he could have just taken the inbound pass right there so he was a little all over the place but i think that gets corrected but outside of that you know keon williams just has a few minutes but i thought you know he showed some promise there. Tyreek Smith had the big dunk. He looked pretty good as well. I, I think pretty much everybody played solid game. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. One thing that I noticed too is it felt like, you know, the stat line kind of reflects it. There, there wasn't as much tinkering with the rotation in the second half. And I felt like they really hit their groove in the second half, really only making subs as necessary. They stretched that lead out to 31. You start to see Chris Harris, Keon Williams, uh, Woody Newton come in, and then the, the lead dwindles and everybody comes back, and then you put the game away. So I, I think all in all a really encouraging performance in this in this game. And I think you know UTA took their best swing, not a uber-talented group, but big, I would say. I think that's a good test because they were physical. You heard John Holcomb talk a lot about it. They were big and physical. That's a that's something you can take out of that opponent. So yeah, and you know they, they talked about it on the broadcast. This team was playing a ton of guys who that haven't played before, haven't played together. I'm sure there was not much film on them at all. And I mean, Oklahoma State should beat UT Arlington. But not making an excuse, but that is that got to play a little bit <laughs> when it's your game opener and you probably didn't have barely any film on these guys to go off of. Yeah, yeah, no question. Well, Dustin, I mean, coming up next, I mean, basketball season is in full swing. You look up on Thursday and Oklahoma State's got a home game against Southern Illinois, the Salukis. Then you look forward to Sunday and who they got. They got Oakland on the road. We, we know them well, too. They they beat Oklahoma State in Gallagher-Iva last year. Um, so a little bit of a revenge tour game. I, I'm excited for that one. That will be a this game all year. <laughs> it's just one I've had circled. It's beat, <laughs> beat Oakland and the clock's ticking down in the locker room. No, but it, it should be a good one, actually. I think that will be a good kind of barometer for Oklahoma State. Then they go. They've got a week off, essentially, and then they go uh, to UCF in the uh, Bahamas Challenge on Friday the 18th. So uh, basketball season's here. I love it. I'm ready for it. And yeah. we will be we'll be here breaking it down. We're going to add it into our football previews. And then when football ends, it'll be heavy basketball. Yeah, you know it. All right. Well, Dustin, are you ready? Let's move on to uh, the question and answer portion of the show. We're good with that. Okay. Let's do it. 
as always, you should know that this portion of the podcast is brought to you by WT Appraisal, which is the premier commercial agriculture appraisal firm throughout the Oklahoma, Texas, Kansas area, and the Great Plains region of America, specializing in appraisals of farms, ranches, commercial and retail facilities, and industrial real estate. WT Appraisal has over 30 years of experience in agriculture real estate and over 10 offices throughout the region. OSU graduate Andrew Cox has been appraising properties throughout Oklahoma for over a decade and would love to give you help with your appraisal needs. Give Andrew a call at 806-418-2629 or visit WTAppraisal.com for more information. And speaking of Andrew, I think we're about to hear from him. Here we go. Now, if y'all forget my ad read again, I will drop this sponsorship faster than they can score touchdowns in the state of Kansas. All right. <laughs> now, that being said, uh, my question this week has to do with Gundy's press conference on Monday. Um, basically, I found that whole presser pretty odd. Uh, what a good mood Gundy was in. I thought he was a little extra chipper than normal. In the words of Dustin, I thought he was feeling himself, to say the least. I mean, he was telling stories. He was telling jokes. He went on that weird Veterans Day tangent that no one really asked for. Um, I'm curious if, if either of y'all thought that, had that same feeling, or or maybe not. Um, if you thought he might have been putting on a brave face for the media, kind of putting on a fake smile, uh, or if you thought it was pretty authentic for him, I don't know. Um, just kind of trying to peel back a few layers of the onion that is Mike Gundy. Um, so just let me know. And just kidding about the sponsorship. Love y'all mean it. <laughs> we love you, Andrew. And uh, yeah, well, I mean, what did you want him to do? Did you want him to chew out Jenny Carlson again or what? <laughs> I think, uh, I think one, you know, he's just kind of been doing it for so long now. He's just kind of, We'll do this sometimes. Two, I think it avoids him getting more questions about the last game when he does that. And if he goes on these rants, you know, he knows he's got that 20, 30 minute time limit that they're not really going to go over. And he can kind of, it's almost like he's playing defense, like he's defending himself from some of these injury questions, Spencer Sanders questions, without having to continue to deflect them. So I, I agree, it's a great call by Andrew, but I, I think there's there's definitely some ulterior motive of Gundy doing that. I, I think anyway. Yeah, you, you think it's a little bit like political, like he it's he's he's filibustering. Yeah, I, I, mean, <laughs> I love a good filibuster. So I oh. think Gundy does too. Yeah, no question. All right. Well, here. Wait, wait. Is that Andrew Cox here again? I believe oh. setting it feels like forty-five record. First ever two-time caller in one episode. We'll see if Kate plays this though. Probably not. Uh, but this <laughs> question goes back to actually the Texas game. I meant to call in then, but after sharing a party bus in Stillwater with Kate and Dustin, I basically had to sleep for about five days just to get back to zero. <laughs> Uh, but that game got me thinking, if you could kind of quantify hostile environment, home field advantage, crowd noise, whatever you want to call it, and divide that by stadium capacity, so basically home field advantage per capita, do you think Boone Pickens Stadium would lead in that stat? Uh, are there any other 60,000-ish stadiums that come to mind that that provide that kind of atmosphere that, that we get in Stillwater on our best day? Um, the only one other, other one I could think of was Tech, but those people are kind of like, werewolves when they drink they're barely human on game day so just curious if any other stadiums come to mind thanks if we're uh, talking and thank you andrew that's a great question if we're talking big 12 first if we just want to stay there how many does 
how big is West Virginia Stadium? Because they get pretty loud. I think it's like sixty-two-five. If I okay. something like that. So I would probably put I'd probably put Tech, Oklahoma State, West Virginia in the conversation. But I think Oklahoma State gets louder than both of those. So so West Virginia is sixty thousand. I I've never been there. I feel like Stillwater is a harder place to play than Lubbock or oh, Morgantown, yeah. and I. I mean, it was so loud at that Texas game. That was big boy college football. And I've, I've never been to a road game in Lubbock. Frankly, I do not intend to. So I may never figure out the true answer to this. But oh, Stillwater, Boone Pickens Stadium on its best day is big boy environment. Now on a national scale, one school that kind of stuck out to me this year from watching the film watching Baylor before our preview, BYU was really loud. And it really was stadium is not very big. And you know, what's impressive about them stone cold, sober rocking the place like that. So really impressive. Is there any other stadiums you can think of nationally that are around that size? So, you know, I went to, I would say Boise last year, it was not very loud and it's not very big either. I would say Autzen Stadium has a reputation for that up in Eugene for Oregon. I would say, hmm, I, I think what I think Washington Stadium gets pretty loud. Um, really, though, uh, all the Big Ten stadiums. I think I think Boone Pickens Stadium would be one of the smallest. So I don't even think yeah. you can talk Big Ten. I think if you're staying in that 60 range, Oklahoma State's got to be at the top, probably top five at least. I think actually one that would surprise people how small it is is Clemson's. I think it's only like right at 80,000, and it seems like it's an absolute madhouse every every weekend. So unless it's 11 a.m. and they're you know eating tea and crumpets, so uh, but the <laughs> six o'clock kickoff it seems great. So. Um, we should add like Virginia Tech. Maybe they get pretty loud, but that's Ooh, that's, that's a good probably point, bigger Justin. than. Well, I think that's a seventy thousand. I think it's closer closer to that. Um, here's a fun question. Let's do the opposite. Which is the worst? Like, which are the biggest stadiums with the least amount of juice to them? I think there's one in this state that probably is on that list. Yes. Yes, I think if you, you put them in there. If you catch so my Virginia drift. Tech's 66, so I'm going to put them in the mix as well. They'd probably be in that top five. Yeah, it's unfortunate that they're awful, but yes. TCU? TCU doesn't get very loud at all. Bad. TCU's yeah. really bad. If we're going the opposite way. Baylor? <laughs> Baylor kind, kind of bad? Yeah. We went to the Baylor We went to the Baylor game, what was that, two years ago? I mean, And that not super loud. Hey, Texas, absolutely. I mean... The the two the two big stadiums in the Big Twelve are maybe two of the softer home environments. Like Austin is not intimidating to play in. Not it's anymore. Not, yeah, no. Yeah. Good point. I would say I would also put like Michigan up there. Doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of juice to that crowd. Anyway, this it's a fun topic. We could go on and on. Yeah, I love that question. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Years ago, I heard a story about Bill Walsh ripping Joe Montana in practice for not delivering the ball 12 inches in front of the numbers. In 2010, watched uh, Whedon, and he only had one ball the whole game that wasn't just right there at the perfect spot. Something nobody's talking about with Rangel is many of his throws were behind. That could be enough reps, you know, a little late, a little hesitant on decision-making, just nerves. But many of those throws were behind. Um, just wondering what you guys think it is, if you saw that on his huddle tape. On the defense, love the blitzing style. 
But if we have to have all, you know, fifth and sixth year seniors to have a good defense, I just don't think it's going to work out, you know. And the thing is we want sustained success. So should we look at switching to a more of like an Iowa State style defense? That one was from Ryan B. Uh, two two good questions, I would say. Yeah, great questions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I didn't notice much from Rangel on his huddle tape throwing, you know, behind receivers. I would say you answered your question in your question, Ryan. I do think it's a, a little bit lack of experience, jitters, game reps. All of that's going to come. Uh, ultimately, none of those passes behind the receiver resulted in turnovers. So I'm not, I'm not too worried about that. Yeah, and several of those that came from behind were on those glance RPO plays. Exactly. Which is a which is a pretty quick timing route. He's reading the defense, making a decision and throwing the football based on the, you know, the receiver steps, that five step kind of slant, deep slant. So to see those be thrown a little bit behind, I don't think is super concerning, but it's a good call out. I actually did a full film breakdown on Rangel and was able to get some of his full game film. And that was not something that stood out to me. He was pretty accurate in high school. So I think what Cade said and what you mentioned in your question, it's, it's more of a timing, getting comfortable with the receivers, playing your first ever big 12 game on the road. And I know it's against a bad defense, but it's still a lot all at once. Yeah. A hundred percent. I would say, any any sentence with Garrett Rangel and Joe Montana in it, though, is going to get my guard up pretty high. So, uh, no, great question, Ryan. And then, you know, with the with the defense, um, you know, we, I, I actually can't even remember the the specific question, but it was talking, you know, more about like fifth and sixth year players and needing that. We do want sustained success. I mean. You have, Ryan, the opposite of what you had last year. You have inexperience at every level of this defense right now. So it's not like you have something in the middle. You really are so young almost everywhere except the Leo. So, Yeah, I agree. I think, I think we've got to kind of see what Mason brings next year to make, make this assumption. I just don't think you can – you can make this assumption on one one season. So I, I think it's a good call out. I love Iowa State's defense. I, a lot of teams have switched to it, but I I think we just got to give it some time and see where we go. Yeah, I think you, I think you're spot on with that. Um, I actually have had some questions about you know Derek Mason's future at Oklahoma State. I, I just he's going to get two years, and I, frankly, I, I I think he deserves that. I think any coach, if you really want a true look at what they're trying to do. You get at least two. Frankly, I even think three to, to try to get your guys, your your fit, all of those things. It wasn't great uh, Jim Knowles' first year either. I think there were a lot of people ready to run him off too. All right, here's one from Hayden. I'll start out with the answer to my question. It's a combination of everything. Okay, here's my question. Why in one game against Texas we look insanely good? We look like a spread offense that knows what they're doing. It's TCU in the first half. We look insanely good. But then in the TCU second half, we look like we're operating out of a phone booth. And then against Kansas and Kansas State, it doesn't look like we can do anything. Is it just injuries? Thanks. Yeah, Hayden, that's a million-dollar question right there. Like, there is a lot of it that's injuries, but there's there's more to that onion for sure. And I, I don't know if you can include the entire Kansas game in there as well. You know, we've talked about the drives they went on and if you don't have those interceptions, 
you're actually pretty efficient. They had their second longest scoring drive of the entire season in that game. Yeah. 15 plays, 75 yards. I, I don't think you can include the offense. I don't think you can group the KU game in with the K-State game or the second half of TCU. I just, I just don't think you do it. I know that wasn't the point of the question, and I think it's a great question, but just throwing that one out, I think, Cade, what you said, injuries. Spencer Sanders makes this offense go. Whether you like that or not, whether that's a good thing or not, and it's it's probably not, but now the fact that he's injured, he makes this offense go. So if he's not operating at, you know, any even 70%, the offense is going to struggle. And when you're without Braden Johnson and Jaden Bray, you're two guys who you thought were going to start on the outside at the end of the season and your O-line's banged up. It's just, it's just tough to get into any kind of rhythm. And it's, it's not an excuse. It's just the reality, but no I think we're going to see. I think we're going to see some things improve as we move through the end of the season here. Yeah, I mean, just thinking about like Hayden's basically saying TCU was, you know, if you look at TCU second half, Texas, K State, that is two very polar opposite occurrences. Like it's like, yeah, I, I get what you mean, Hayden. I think injuries play a part in it. I think there, there's other things going on as well. If you look back at K-State, I mean, we broke it down, unfortunately, for an hour last week. So there's a lot of insights to be gleaned from that. But Oklahoma State couldn't block air against against K-State last week, two weeks ago. Um, so yeah. there's, there's a lot of issues there. Um, and Hayden, I think you're trying to figure out the thing that everybody else, including me and Dustin, are trying to figure out. So Yeah, great question. What's up, dudes? I'm sorry if this makes your pod even more depressing, but <laughs> over the last week or week and a half, I've been thinking about how royally screwed OSU got by the bye week uh, this year. I guess I'm just trying to find answers. I don't know. But I was curious what you guys think that OSU's record would be up to this point if the bye week was set in between – Texas Tech and TCU instead of uh, before the Baylor game. Again, I don't know why I'm thinking of this stuff. It just, I don't know, kind of makes me feel better. So I was curious what you guys think. Also, uh, not a question, but just I'm excited for Ringel. <laughs> you know what? Two scapegoats are better than one. So I'll take bye week and injuries as things I'll blame for this season. Yeah, Ryan, that's a, it's honestly such an interesting thing to think about because if you put that there, you give Spencer some time to rest, Preston Wilson, you know, maybe some of these guys don't continue just kind of aggravating these injuries. Who knows what could happen? If you're going to make me say what their record is. So in between Texas Tech and TCU, is that what he said? Yeah, yeah. I think they win the TCU game. So I think they win TCU. They end up winning that game. And then I just don't know the if after that because who knows how injured people get in that game. So I do think they win that TCU game, though, if they have that bye week there. Yeah, well, Dustin and I were in two, like, carnival-sized sets of orange-tinted glasses. So, yeah, like, if you ask us that question, like, yeah, OSU be 9-0 right now, like, number two in the playoff hunt. No, I, I agree with you, actually, Dustin. I, I, don't, I don't know how much the bye weeks – location changes the ultimate outcome of this season granted if it was right in between like texas and k-state maybe um and we actually put pinpointed that earlier in the season is that would have been a great spot for that that bye week but it's it's not where it fell and so 
you know, ultimately there were several key injuries that were longer than just one week. So I'm, I'm not sure it changes the ultimate outcome, but yeah, they probably win that TCU game. Yeah. And uh, uh, we're excited for Rangel as well. <laughs> yes. Yes, we are. Uh, we're going to beat that drum for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, we're throwing KU in the fire. That one never happened either. Um, we'll, we'll repress that. We'll deal with that some other, some other day, but um Iowa State's an opportunity and uh, get to seven wins and and maybe improve your bowl standing at, at the current moment, the way things are looking and uh, start to feel better about yourself uh, after this weekend. Yeah, I completely agree. And uh, we had a couple questions on Twitter. Sorry, we didn't get to those. We had a hard stop just kind of come up. So we're, we're both going to have to run here in a few minutes. So I know you guys don't care, but I just wanted to throw that out there and say sorry for missing the Twitter questions these past few no. weeks. Appreciate you calling that out, Dustin. We 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 do get a lot, and uh, we intended to, but put that one on me. I got to jump. But um, Dustin, if you don't have any more final thoughts, we'll go ahead and get out of here. I, I'd love to break down a win next week. Let's just go ahead and speak enough about that. We'll manifest that, so that way we can do that next week on the show. So if you're not already, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Feels Like Forty Five Pod. You can follow Dustin at Dustragoo, and you can follow me at Cade Webb. If you're in Stillwater this weekend, enjoy it. Be safe. Wear black. And we'll talk to you next week. Go Pokes.